Looking then at Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings? Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that tempt God even are even delivered. May God bless this reading and hearing of his word. Next Sunday is our Every Member Canvas, and between now and then, our hope is that you will be in prayer and be thinking about your commitment to Christ in this financial campaign. Now, I wonder on what basis you will make that commitment. Will you make it on your past giving? Maybe keeping the same uh, percentage or increasing it slightly? Uh, will you make it on the uh, basis of your present income? Uh, if it's gone up, uh, your giving goes up. Or will you make it uh, on the basis of God's commandments and God's promises? Uh, will you approach it in that way? Because you see, uh, this is what every member canvas time is for. You thought it was for the church to raise its budget and to know what it was doing, and of course that's true, but basically it's for you and for me. Every member canvas time is a very practical way of scheduling ourselves to sit down and take inventory of this area of our Christian life. Am I doing God's will in this area of my life. Every member canvas time had come back in the days of Malachi, and God addresses himself to the situation. Time for inventory, says God. Uh, time for an indication of intention on your part concerning uh, whether or not you will obey me and trust me. Time for incentive giving on my part, says God. How does God give incentive to his people? Same way you give incentive to your children. How do you give incentive to your children? How do you get your children to do something that they need to do, you want them to do? I suggest that you use the old method of the stick and the carrot. 
that you warn them what's going to happen if they don't, and you promise to reward them if they do. Now, amazingly enough, God has the same understanding of your human nature that you have of your child's, and he approaches incentive giving practically the same way. He uses the stick and the carrot. He warns what will happen if we don't obey. He makes fantastic promises if we do. The passage that we read opens with a general charge and a general challenge to the people. Uh, The general charge is one of continued disobedience. As he says in verse 7, From the days of your fathers ye had gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. You have disobeyed my clearly revealed will, my ordinances, my scriptures. And uh, having uh, made this general charge, he then gives a general challenge. It's stated thus, Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Return unto me. Start consistently obeying my revealed will. Repent, turn from such disobedience as you have been guilty of and as I have charged you with, and start obeying, and have it be a thing done from the heart. Return unto me, not just to a mechanical approach to rule-keeping, but to a real concern. Uh, as to whether you are doing my will and um, are you pleasing me and are uh, you and I rightly related in every respect. Turn unto me. And then notice he says, I will turn unto you. If you return unto me, I will return unto you. As We have a proposal and a promise. I will bless you. Uh, notice the sequence here. You first. You return to me, and then I will bless you. You can't reverse that sequence. That's a crucial part of understanding the statement that God addresses to his people. Take inventory, and then give me an indication of your intention. Start moving in the right direction. Instead of taking inventory, they respond with invective and with haughty interrogation. Wherein have we disobeyed you? Wherein shall we return? Why? What are we doing wrong? And then we have specific charges. First the general charge, and now he brings it down to specifics. Not that there were not uh, many things wrong, I'm sure, with them as with us, Uh, But he settles in on two, two of the more obvious things, two things that a man can see in black and white. You know, it's sometimes hard to see pride and envy and jealousy and resentfulness in your own life. You have such an easy way of rationalizing those things. But God settles here on several points of disobedience that were clearly out in the open that they could see and that they could obviously set about correcting. And he says, uh, in effect, uh, these should be sufficient for inventory and for indication of intention. The first specific charge, he specifies this charge. He says, robbery, you're guilty of robbery. Will a man rob God? You've robbed me. 
Another possible translation of it is defrauding God. And they say, how? Wherein? His answer, in tithes and offering. Notice the plural, in tithes. Actually, uh, there were three tithes that the average layman was to give in Israel. There was the first tithe, which had to do with a tenth of all income that uh, the person had, all income that he had, one-tenth of it was to be given to the Lord. In the 27th chapter of Leviticus, the 30th, the 31st, 32nd verses, God says that uh, they were to take a tenth of all of their crops and give them to him because these were his. The tenth is mine, saith the Lord. If you take it, you're robbing me. Uh, he goes on to then to specify their other uh, means of income. He speaks of the cattle and all, and he says you're to give a tenth of that. Uh, Every tenth cow that walks under the rods, mine, saith the Lord. You count your cows off. Let them walk along, and you just hold the rod out, and every tenth one, that's mine. And he says no jockeying of cows. No taking that lame one and winding up with him tenth. It's none of that. Does he know human nature? He made man. He knows what's in man. He knows the tendency we would have to uh, seek to avoid the real fulfilling of this in the spirit intended. And he warns about that danger. Then there's a second tenth mentioned uh, in Deuteronomy 12:18 uh, that the uh, Hebrew was to give. Uh, this tenth he got to participate in the consuming of. The first tenth was given outright to the Levites. That's like saying the first tenth went to the church state. The second tenth went to the church program. It went to uh, various festivals and so on. It consisted of food, and, and the Jew would uh, bring it, and then he got to sit down and eat it along with the preacher. Covered dish supper. Second tenth consisted of covered dish supper. Third tenth was to be given once every three years for the poor. Every three years they had a united appeal, and the people were to contribute a tenth again uh, to this. And so you can see, as a number of writers have pointed out, that the average Jew, uh, many years, would be giving maybe a third of his income uh, by law to the Lord. Uh, you notice the reference to offerings, tithes and offerings. An offering was over and above the tithe, and it had to do with some special blessing. If you receive some special blessing, you were to bring a special offering to the Lord. Or some special sin that you'd done, you were to bring again an offering to the Lord. Uh, do these, uh, in effect, uh, still apply to us today? Well, in a sense, uh, there have been some changing aspects, uh, as we can obviously see uh, some aspects of the way they handle their charity and some aspects of uh, the way they handle their covered dish suppers, this has changed. Uh, but the first tenth, which had to do with the Lord, this was the Lord. This was not to be touched. This is still, in my opinion, obviously applicable to us today, enforced for us, this basic tenth, uh, which belonged to him and which, if we touched, was robbery. This 
was by way of recognition that all that a man had was really God's, that he was simply a steward, one who oversaw another's property. And the tenth was returned to God in recognition that the land was his and, and that the individual himself belonged to him. As if I were to uh, set you up in business in Atlanta and say to you, now, the business is mine and you work for me and so on, and what I want you to do is every month of the profits, take the first ten percent and send it to me. That's mine because the business is mine. Then you can take your commission out of the rest and use some of it as needed to live on and, and put the rest back into the business, something like this. All of it's mine. I'll let you live on part of it. But the tenth that you're to send to me, you're to send that straight out. Now, suppose you took my tenth and spent it on your new car. That's thievery. That's robbery. And this is uh, precisely uh, what God is saying to the people here, that they had robbed him. Over in the New Testament, uh, when Paul talks about giving, he continually refers back to these Old Testament principles. And this first tithe was, in effect, long before these other ceremonies were instituted. It's a continuing principle, one that applies to us today. Does the charge of robbing God apply to you? Are you taking inventory here as we go along? Does the charge apply? Well, listen carefully as he tells the consequence that it come to them as a result of robbing God. He says in verse 9, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Cursed with the curse is a better translation. Back when they had first come into the land, in Deuteronomy 28, 15 following, a series of curses had been stated that would come upon the people if they disobeyed the commandments God gave. He said, "You, I will curse your fields, I will curse your crops, I will curse your uh, cattle if you disobey. And now what uh, Malachi is saying is that this curse has come upon you. You're so conscious of your situation. You are poverty-stricken. You are, have financial problems, he says. Well, the reason is that you've disobeyed God and he has done exactly what he has said as a consequence and sent this curse upon you. There's an old legend about an eagle that <clears throat> swooped down and grabbed a piece of meat off of, off of an altar that had been sacrificed to God and as he carried it back to his nest, a coal adhered to the flesh of the sacrifice and then set his nest on fire. And so it is when we would take things off of God's altar that really belong there and keep them in our own nest, uh, they bring detriment to our nest. If a man uh, tries to defraud God, he really only defrauds himself in the end. I think of one man who's present this morning and who shared some of his story with us from the pulpit several years ago as he had some terrific financial setbacks. And as we talked at that time about had he... Uh, sought to do God's will in the financial area and so on, and he said he had not. And then he made this statement. He said, you know, if you don't give it to him, he takes it anyway. That's what God is saying here, that as a consequence of their failure to do as he had commanded, that he has sent uh, this curse. I'm sure that the people used as a reason for not obeying their financial problems. How much better to respond like a certain merchant did that 
the secretary of a British missionary society called upon. Uh, this merchant, who had a number of ships, uh, was asked by the uh, missionary society to make a contribution. And he sat down and wrote the man out a check for $250 and handed it to him. And immediately the phone rang. He picked up the phone, had a cable to the effect that one of his ships was lost at sea and had lost its cargo. He immediately hung up and uh, told the gentleman what the call was about and said, Would you please give me back that check? Uh, this throws a whole new light on all of my affairs. And the uh, secretary said, Well, I can certainly understand that and returned the check to him. The man took it and uh, tore it up and wrote out another check and gave it to him for $1,000. He said, uh, Surely you must have made a mistake. He said, No mistake. I was about to make a mistake. And said, My Heavenly Father just sent me a cable saying, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. How much better to respond in a real deep inventory and a real genuine indication of intention of obedience when we see calamity rather than reverse the trend. Not only do we have the charge and the uh, consequence but we have the challenge that God gives, the spirit, the carrot, and the, and the stick. Now we come to the carrot, the incentive that he holds out. As he says in verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Notice the proposal. Bring... All the tithe, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Someone said that no one ever lost anything by serving God with a whole heart or gained anything by serving him with half a heart. God uh, apparently is more offended at lukewarmness than anything else. Because thou art neither hot nor cold, but are lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth, is the word to the church at Laodicea. Not that God needs the money. God says in the 50th Psalm, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. God doesn't need it. God doesn't need it to carry on his uh, evangelistic program. If God wants to, he can uh, convert 20 billionaires tomorrow. That's no problem to God. But God sees fit to give his people an opportunity to prove their love, an opportunity to show their trust in him. We need it. We need it as a means of reminding us that we are stewards, that everything we have is God's. I recently, uh, speaking with one of our members who has been financially successful above most, uh, he said, you know, when a man makes a lot of money, and he spoke of making $50,000 a month, three months in a row, and so on, he says... When a man makes a lot of money, it kind of gets to him, and he, he becomes proud. That's right. And God gives us here something that's going to help keep us orientated right. Give that tent. Not that that's all that's God's. It's all God's. And you're managing it for him. And he may well have you give much more than a tent. But the commandment to start with that keeps you orientated right. We need it. And it's a way of making us rely on him in a very practical way. The promise, well, that's the proposal, bring the whole time. The promise 
the receiving of a blessing. He describes it like this. He says, I see if I will not open you the windows of heaven. That's a phrase that's pretty rare in the Bible, the windows of heaven. You know where else it occurs? In the great flood. He says, see if I won't send a great flood of blessing. Uh, the way one translator translates it is, open you the floodgates of heaven. I can almost see God turning the floodgate thing. Open you the floodgates of heaven. This is the way God describes what he is prepared to do. Until <clears throat> pour you out such a blessing, until, until a failure of sufficiency is the literal translation. Until a failure of sufficiency. Whose sufficiency? Well, some translators think God's sufficiency. Well, there will never be a failure of God's sufficiency. God has infinite sufficiency. And if he pours us out a blessing until the failure of his sufficiency, that means perpetual blessing. Continued and constant obedience will bring perpetual blessing. Or, if it means a failure of our sufficiency to receive, then the emphasis is on the abundance of the flood that he commits himself to sin. What is the nature of this blessing that he will send? Is it material? Is it spiritual? The next verses throw some light on this as he says in the 11th verse, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. The devourer would speak of the locusts and the plagues and the bugs, and he says, I will rebuke them. I sent them, and I'll take them back. I will rebuke the devourer. I will send material blessings. I will bless your business is a modern uh, way of stating that. Material blessing is promised here and in many other places in the Old Testament and similar connection. Does this promise of material blessing apply today? Well, remember that when we talk about whether something applies today, we're talking in terms of have things changed since the Old Testament when we moved into the New some things changed. Did this change? Well, it's interesting to me that when Paul talks about giving in some detail in the second uh, letter to the Corinthians, the ninth chapter, when he wants to make his point about if you do thus and so, you can expect God to do thus and so, he continually refers back to these Old Testament promises like this one and quotes them to back up the statements that he makes along a similar line. Charles Hodge, the great Princeton theologian, and great expositor of scripture in his commentary on 2 Corinthians says this, Paul's desire was to produce the conviction in the minds of the Corinthians which he himself so strongly felt that no man is the poorer for being liberal in his giving. The ground of this conviction was twofold. The explicit promises of God and his character and general mode of dealing with men. And then a little earlier in that same passage, Hodge makes this comment, quote, It is edifying to notice the difference between divine wisdom and the wisdom of men, as the proper motive to acts of benevolence is a desire for the happiness of others and a regard to the will of God. Human wisdom says that it is wrong to appeal to any selfish motive. The wisdom of God, while teaching the entire abnegation of self, that you must not be selfish, and you must not do things for selfish motives. Die to self still tells us, <clears throat> tells all who thus deny themselves, 
that they thereby most effectively promote their own interests. We may thence learn, he says, that it is right to present to men the divinely ordained consequences of their actions as motives to control their conduct. It is right to tell men that obedience to God, devotion to his glory, and the good of others will effectually promote their own welfare. In other words, if I do something and I have a selfish motive, this, this God attaches no promise to. But if I do it because God said do it and I want to obey and I want to give to others and I want to give all I can to his church, if I step out in obedience from these motivations, I can expect him to turn around and do exactly what he said and bless and enable me to do what he commanded me to do. This uh, theme of tithing bringing material prosperity was advanced in America by a Presbyterian elder more than any other man. His name appears on the little insert that you have in your bulletin, Thomas Keene. This Presbyterian elder back in 1870 had a business, and he started tithing, and he noticed in the next five years a decisive change for the better in his business. And uh, he began inquiring other people who practiced tithing, among other people, and they too had seen similar things. And he developed this thesis that tithing brings material prosperity. Don't tithe for that reason. But as you tithe, it will do this. As you obey God, you can count on this in a sense, or you can expect it. And uh, he wrote to three-fourths of the evangelical ministers in America, and he attached a note. My belief is that God blesses in temporal as well as spiritual things, he says, the man who honors him by setting apart a stated portion of his income to his service. I have never known an exception, have you, was the question that he asked these thousands of ministers. And later on he gave his results and uh, said that very few uh, replied with any exception. I've known some exceptions, but I have known an amazing number of instances where the thesis has proven true. The experiment of Thomas Kane, in a sense, or his experience, has been duplicated many times in our midst, and uh, we recently had one of our men who shared his experience at our men's luncheon. This man, uh, an architect, a new Christian, uh, had come to see me uh, recently in financial straits, and uh, he and I talked about it, and I raised the question. As over the years your business has increased, and although, of course, you're still in debt, you're in greater debt to God, and he should get his portion, as your business has increased, have you... Have you done what he told you to do financially? He said, no. I said, well, I believe that's the place to start. We talked about it, and we knelt, and we prayed, and he indicated his intention to set that thing straight now, any minute. The next day he called me up and told of a very dramatic uh, event that had taken place in his financial structure uh, that relieved the pressure that he was under. And then, as he shared with the men's luncheon uh, just a few weeks later, he went on to tell how in this month that his business has done more business than in any month of previous history, and the firm's been going for quite a number of years. 
This is not unusual. Not only, of course, does it bring material blessings, but most of all, spiritual blessings. And these are the higher blessings. These could be what's indicated by the reference in verse 12, to all nations calling Israel blessed. All nations are blessed in Israel when the promise of the Messiah has been fulfilled. And this could be a reference to the spiritual blessings that would come to and through Israel, or it could be a recognition of uh, their material blessings when God uh, answered in this way. But certainly it does bring spiritual blessings, And if this were the only blessing offered, this would be certainly the thing that we should covet above all else. We've seen the challenge and we've seen the proposal and promise here, and there remains but one thing, that's the proving of it. Prove me now herewith. In other words, prove me by following this procedure. In this way, prove me. Put me to the test, says God, and see. If I cannot be depended upon to do my share when you do your share. Now, that's about as straightforward an arrangement as can be offered. And it seems to me that it's one that can be verified through obedience and through faith. It becomes a matter of belief and obedience at this point. Have you been taking inventory? Do you say, well, you know, I do it. If, if I could ever get ahead. Man, if I could ever see my way clear to doing it, I'd do it. That's reversing the sequence. You return, then I'll return. You bring the tithes and obey, and then I will bless and open the windows of heaven. You can't reverse the sequence. That's part of what it means to trust God. You know, he's got more to lose than you, or you'll lose your hair, <laughs> And maybe you're home, but he'd lose his honor, wouldn't he? He's concerned about his honor. He goes on to say here that the second charge they were guilty of was slander. He said, you've maligned my name. You say that it doesn't pay to serve God. Notice verse 14. Ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that, ye have ke- that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Of course, they hadn't really. They had gone about it in a defrauding way. They had gone about it in a half-hearted way. And they had reaped the consequences. But when they reaped the consequences of such half-hearted obedience, then they say it doesn't pay to serve God. And God says that's slander. You see, that is the connection. If we, by our lips or by our lives, say it doesn't pay to serve God, we do slander God. And this is what we are seeing in one way or another if we won't take him at his word. If you will not try this, what are you saying? You're saying, well, I'm, I'll be more blessed if I do it my way. If I keep that portion that belongs to him or part of it, I'll be happier. It doesn't pay to serve God. That's what we're saying, in effect. Or we can't really depend on him. Where'd you come out in the inventory? You say, well, good night. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Okay, that's the starting place. And uh, that's, uh, you know, you could be a tither and not a Christian. 
I tithed before I was a Christian. You encounter in Luke 18 the, the tither, the Pharisee who gave tithes of all that he possessed, and he wasn't a Christian. He thought in terms of giving the tithes made him a Christian, made him a, made him acceptable with God. That's not right. No man can be accepted with God on the basis of how well he obeys because no man obeys. The key to being a Christian is to realize we haven't obeyed in a thousand things and then trust and obey. Submit our wills to Jesus Christ as our Lord. Put our trust in him as the one who died for our sins. This is the key in becoming a Christian. Maybe you said, uh, I'm a Christian, uh, but I'm not tithing. Are you willing to have this charge continue in effect of robbing God? Doesn't that just look? <laughs> it does me. I don't believe I could sleep at night. Are you willing to continue to reap the consequence of that? What about the challenge? Why not accept the challenge? Why not turn that key of obedience and belief? We have a young man here this morning who, last year at this same time, he came to me and he said, I want to tithe and I can't see how. And he went over his affairs and I said, I can't either. But he said, I want to do it and I'm going to, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to step out and do it and trust God. January, he called me up and uh, he's so excited right at the end of January. He said, let me tell you what happened said, I, I gave God his tithe, and I saw at the end of the month I was going to be $50 short. We've been seeing it come up all along, and right at the end of the month, somebody called me up, and uh, I'd made a speech three months ago and hadn't asked for any remuneration. They hadn't said I was going to get any, and they sent me a $50 check. Got here right the last day of the month. February called me up and said, let me tell you what. <laughs> oh, what a thrill he had. God became the living God as he obeyed and believed God. How about accepting the challenge like he did? Maybe you say, well, I'm already tithing. I'm a Christian and I tithe. Turn the key a little further. See what will happen if you increase it. See if the floodgate will open some more. That's been my experience. I was so thrilled this past week to be over in Meridian with a young pastor who uh, in his own life, in his wife's life, they have they shared with me how just in really the last year they've they've given and they've seen God increase His giving to them, and then they gave even more. Let's say a twentieth, I mean a fifth of their income, and uh, they saw God uh, give them far more than they were giving, and and He's becoming almost reckless with it, and He was so excited with it. I challenge some of you men and women to try this very thing. It does work that way. I, I can testify to that. Don't stop with a tithe. When this proves true with that, step on out and see just to what limit God will let you go. There's a sound barrier in there somewhere that you can break through. Turn the key, Father, like he did. I, I challenge you today to accept God's challenge. Let's do it as individuals. Let's do it as a church. 